0: if you would please, and we'll open them to Ephesians chapter 6. And I think you're probably already aware that the subject again tonight is spiritual warfare. And this will be the theme for several messages as we close out this sixth chapter. We'll be talking about how that God has endued us as his people to fight in our Christian battle, in our Christian life. Uh, We've been talking about the enemy, and we've talked about our allies, Uh, We've talked about characters who engaged in this battle. And now, in in this portion of the Scriptures, we come to the way that God has prepared us to fight. And I believe it's very important for us to understand where we draw our strength. Our strength comes from the power of God's might. Scripture tells us that He is the dunamis. That means the power. He's the dynamite that enables us to win our battles. And however that we might be afraid of the devil... And make no mistake about this, you need to respect him and you need to fear the power of the devil, yet we do certainly understand that God is greater in power. The devil only has as much power as God allows him to have. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about spiritual powers that we're fighting against. He puts emphasis on that, but the major emphasis is not on those powers, but it's on the power of God that's even greater. And we notice the times that Paul talks about the Lord, when he talks about being strong in the Lord. He speaks of the armor, and he says, this is God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God. He says, take unto you the whole armor of God. So God is where we put our trust, and none of the spiritual weapons that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, none of these would do us any good unless they were wielded in the hand of of Almighty God himself and using God's power. Well, tonight, as we uh, study and prepare for the pieces of the armament armament that we're going to talk about, we really want to talk about the armament as a whole in this message tonight and see what we can learn about that. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and if you'd stand with me, please, we'll read God's Word. We're looking at verses 11 through 13 in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight... Uh, Help us to better understand your word and the spiritual battle in which we're engaged. Help us to learn something about the armor of God, the panoply of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. My subject tonight is the panoply of God. And the word panoply comes from a Greek word that Paul uses in verses 11 and 13. Uh, This is the word panoplia. It means all of the armor. Or in another place, it says teen panaplan, which means the whole armor of God. That's a word that's used only one other time in Scripture. And uh, the other place is in Luke, Luke 11, verse number 22. And this is where uh, Jesus, interestingly enough, is talking about the power of the devil. And he talks about Satan, who is a strong man armed. And then Jesus refers to himself as the stronger man. He's able to come in, and he's able to bind the strong man and to spoil his goods. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke eleven twenty-one. 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor. And that's the word panoplia right there. Uh, Taketh from him all his armor uh, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. And that's what Jesus does when he saves us. The devil has had his way with us. Uh, the devil was at peace, thinking that no one could interfere with him, no one can harm him. It's the devil who controlled us, it's the devil who, who owns us, so to speak. And, and in this scripture, we are referred to as his house. But Jesus is stronger than the devil, and so he comes in and he overtakes Satan. He takes possession of the house, and this house becomes the habitation of the Spirit of God. And then Jesus protects the possession so that it can never fall into the hands of Satan again. Now, that is a wonderful thing, to know that Jesus saves us, he has power over Satan, he kicks Satan out of his house. But it's also important for us to understand that God has a method by which he keeps us, a method by which he allows us to use his power. Peter says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And part of the way that God keeps us is by giving this this armor of protection that he calls the panoply of God. Charles Wesley wrote in a song that we sang last Wednesday night, Soldiers of Christ arise, put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror. Stand then in his great might with all his strength endued, but take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God, that having all things done and all your conflicts past, ye may or come through Christ alone and stand entire at last. Well, before we get into the different pieces of the armor that we'll talk about a little bit later on, uh, I want to speak tonight about three special aspects of the whole armor of God, or the panoply of God. Uh, first tonight, I want to talk about the purpose of the armor. And the purpose is for us to stand. The armor enables us to stand. Verse number 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse number 13 says, To take the teen panoply, that's the whole panoply, Of God, In order that we might be able to withstand, it says, and having done all, to stand. And so those verses clearly tell us that you cannot stand, you cannot withstand the onslaught of Satan unless you put on this armor. You won't stand without it. You'll be weak, you'll fall. And when Christians fall, it is because they have not put on the whole armor of God. Because the scripture is very clear here that if we do put on this armor, then we will be able to stand against the devil. Now, let's talk about a couple reasons why you need this armor. I think there are two main reasons that we need it. The first one is because of the strength of the enemy. Now, this is part of what we talked about last week, and if you attended the three sessions where we uh, spoke about the resume of the enemy, uh, we learned very much about the strength of the opposing forces. Now, we're not going to break all of that down again tonight, but there is an enemy that possesses more talent, We have an enemy that affects us in every realm of our existence. The devil has power over the mind. He has power over your senses. He has power over your will. He has your emotions under his control. There is not a part of man's being that Satan is not able to affect in some way. And so when he does that, he keeps us blinded and he keeps us helpless. The power of the devil is compared to that of a god. In fact, the scriptures do say that he is the god of this world. Now make no mistake about it, the devil is strong and also that we are vulnerable to his attacks. And so we need the armor because we cannot stand or we cannot withstand the devil without it. I think there are many Christians who, when they become Christians, they have a false notion. They think, well, I'm saved now, and so I have the power of God, and that's all that's necessary. I have God's power. Well, it's great to have God's power. All of us need God's power But power alone does not cover up our vulnerabilities. When we think about America, America is a very powerful nation, the most powerful nation on the earth. But our power alone did not stop uh, terrorists from killing 3,000 people on our own soil back on September 11, 2001. I don't uh, necessarily mean to, uh, to be critical of our national defenses at that time, but we were a powerful nation that had become complacent. We'd seen terror attacks that happened in other countries and we just, just came to the place that we thought it can't possibly happen here. Remember uh, back in the early 90s, I, I took a trip to uh, Munich, Germany, and uh, the people in Germany were very much aware of what terrorists could do. In 1972 in, in Munich, Germany, a terrorist killed 11 Israelis in the 1972 Summer Olympics. In the 90s, uh, when I was there, there were other terrorist attacks that were taking place throughout Europe at that time. And I remember that when we flew into Munich, when the plane landed, there were tanks and there were machine guns at the airport. I mean, right there as the planes were landing and coming in and out, the soldiers were there and they were watching them with their tanks, making sure that no one was going to try to pull anything. When you went into the airport, there were armed soldiers just about everywhere that were were watching to make sure that someone wasn't going to uh, set off a bomb in the airport. I remember that there were some folks that were near us and uh, they left some luggage laying in a sitting area and they decided to go get something to eat. Well, it wasn't just a few minutes until uh, these soldiers whisked down there, picked up all of their luggage, and we were told they were taking them off somewhere to destroy them. So they were very much aware of what terrorists could do and what they were doing was keeping the guard up. Well, America is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, but our power alone could not stop those attacks of 9-11. America also has the most powerful navy on this planet. In fact, our our naval prowess is so great that that other nations don't even bother to put their ships on the seas against us any longer. But with those defenses, uh even though uh, other countries won't challenge us on the seas with their with their ships, yet we do know that we're vulnerable. Back when the uh defenses of our comp- country were down, there was a small boat that was carrying explosives that, that was able to come right up alongside the USS Cole. You remember that? Uh, that's, uh, the USS Cole was a guided missile destroyer, a very powerful ship. And this little bitty boat came up beside it that they thought was going to cart the garbage off the ship. And because their defenses were not up and they weren't watching, they were able to, to blow a hole in the side of that ship and 17 sailors were killed. Now, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. You have to have the armor, and you have to be vigilant, and you must be watchful over these things. The power by itself is not enough. You have to have the armor of God. So the devil is always going about seeking whom he may destroy. But then also, you need this power because of the stealth of the enemy. And we think about that uh, incident with the USS Cole again. That is a case in point about stealth. The attacks on 9-11 are a case about stealth. Uh, If you uh, read the stories, and everyone's aware of it by now, I know that those planes that flew into the World Trade Center, and the one that flew in the Pentagon, and and the one that crashed in Pennsylvania, when those terrorists got on board the airplanes, they weren't dressed in full military gear. They weren't carrying hand grenades, and they didn't have C-4 explosives to blow, blow the planes up. They came on to the airplanes with something as simple as box cutters, they came on there in stealth, and that is a lesson to us that we have to be aware that, uh, of a sneak attack when it comes. Satan uses all kinds of wiles. He uses tricks, and the Bible says that he will attack us when we least expect it. Paul made an interesting comment in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, here in our text, he's talking about standing, And in 1 Corinthians, he says, it is possible for you to think that you're standing when you are about ready to fall. Now, what Paul has in mind in that scripture, and uh, I'll be preaching from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in a few weeks, but what he has in mind is a a wonderful uh, spiritual experience that someone would have, and everything's going great. The person thinks that I've conquered it all. There are no more worries. And he's sitting there enjoying the spoils of his victory. And in that chapter, uh, Paul references Israel's march through the Red Sea. He talks about how God fed them with the manna, how the water came out of the rock. But when they got into the wilderness, they were drawn away by their lust, and eventually all of those people that experienced that great Red Sea crossing, they all died in the wilderness. None of them reached the promised land. Of course, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who did, besides those that were over Uh, 20 years old. So they died, even though they had that great spiritual experience, and the reason they did, they were just not ready for the conflict that they would experience in the wilderness. David also had a similar experience. Uh, When he had conquered his enemies, his pride started to get the best of him, and so he started to number the children of Israel. He thought about his great battles and the great army that he had, and he wanted to take the number of the people. Well, God told him not to do that. God wasn't pleased with it, and because of it, uh, Israel was greatly chastised, and David was chastised, and calamity came upon them. So that's why we need armor. We need strength. Uh, We've got power, but we need more than just power. We need God's protection of the armor, and without that, you will not stand. So never think that you're safe from the enemy. Now, we go on to a second consideration. Uh, Secondly, we want to talk about the people who wear the armor, and the people who wear this armor are the saints of God. One of the uh, popular conjectures about where Paul got the idea for using the example of the armor, something I told you about, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, Paul was most likely chained to a Roman soldier while he was in prison writing this letter. And so he could look over at that Roman soldier and he could think, well, how can I make some kind of comparison here so that everyone can see and understand and... and uh, have a, a point of reference that they know what I'm talking about here. So he looked over at the shield and the spear and the, the helmet, the breastplate, other pieces of armament that this soldier would have, and he began to make his comparisons. Well, it's true. Paul, Paul may have gotten his idea there, but I really think that what is much more probable is that Paul was such a student of the Word. His mind was so saturated with God's Word that he was always thinking about Scripture, So I think that most likely what happened is that Paul thought back to the Old Testament to a scripture that talks about the armor of God. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 59, verse 17, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now, the way that Paul puts it here in Ephesians is when he tells us to put on this armor, he points out that this is God's personal armor. When you're told to put on truth, whose truth is that? Well, that's God's truth. When, when he says here that we're to put on righteousness, whose righteousness is it? Is it righteousness that we've gained or that we've uh, forged by our own experience and work? Well, certainly not. He's talking about God's perfect righteousness, When we put on faith, what faith is he talking about? Is that faith in just anything? No, he's talking about putting on God's faith. When he says put on the helmet of salvation, whose salvation is it? It's God's salvation. It's God's gospel. It's God's good news. And so that makes it clear to us that there's no one but the people of God who can wear this armor. If you go up to a lost person and you tell them, Uh, If they've got a problem, you say, well, the answer to your problem is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean to him? He doesn't understand breastplate of righteousness. That has no meaning. If you uh, tell a person, well, what you really need to do is what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, you need to have your loins girt about with truth. And they say, what truth? The belt of truth? What are you talking about? I don't understand that. And that's because a lost person doesn't have a point of reference. He doesn't know about God's armor because he doesn't know anything about God. So what does this tell us about this armor? Well, it tells us that it's perfectly suited for the Christian. And when you put this armor on, you find out that this armor fits you perfectly. It's not tailored for a lost person. He can't wear this armor. But the Christian finds that the armor of God is exactly what he needs. It fits him in all areas of his life. Fits just like it's supposed to. And that's because the Scripture says that when you become a Christian, that you become a new creation in Christ. You're fashioned like Jesus. You become like Him. And so what that means is the clothes of Christ will fit you. They fit you perfectly. It doesn't work that way for a lost person. I think there are a lot of Christians who have the totally wrong idea about what it means to put on God's clothing. We have a completely mixed-up idea a lot of times about Christ's clothing. And so there are many Christians who think, well, when you put on Christ's clothing, that must mean that you put on a a tie-dye shirt and you uh, stick a flower behind your ear. Let's all sit down yoga style together and let's talk about peace, love, and harmony. And that's what it means. So most Christians really are not having a war party, folks. Christians today are having a jammy party. Let's put our jammies on. Let's have a slumber party. This will be so much fun. I mean, we can have a pillow fight. We can tell funny stories all night. We can talk about our feelings. We can begin to bond with one another. That's a jammy party, and that's not what Paul is talking about. It's not warfare. You remember what Joshua told his troops? Be strong, be courageous. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. I don't think Paul would have a taste at all for mamby-pamby Christianity of today. You know, if you came to Paul with the uh, purpose-driven church model, Paul would tell you, who in the world do you think you're kidding? He'd say, get rid of all that sweet-smelling, compromising stuff. Get rid of that and go out there and fight the devil tooth and toenail. Don't surrender any area of your life to the devil. That's not today's Christianity. What we have to do is we have to present our plan. We've got to have a seminar about it. We've got to go out and survey the lost to find out what they would like to have in the church, and that's what we'll do. And so you have the the churches that appeal to the seekers, they say. Check out the seekers. Go see what the seekers want. You know what they try to find out about the seekers? Do they like lattes or do they like uh, mocha coffee with a dash of whipped cream as they sit and watch the services and watch everything that goes on? Christians today don't want strong doctrine. They don't want a shield to go out and fight the devil. They're not talking about swords here and breastplates of righteousness. They're not interested in that. Now, I'll tell you what you really need to do. You need to take some of these churches that are out there looking for their sweet little coffee drinkers and their seekers and bring them over to Brian Baptist Church and give them a pot of Dalton's coffee. That'll put hair on your chest. And it grows a mustache on the women, too. So that'll make you strong. But Paul says... Put on the whole armor of God because it's perfectly suited for the child of God. I'm telling you, folks, you go out here and you try to put this armor on Joel Osteen, you have no way you could stuff all that curly hair in the helmet. He can't wear it. This armor is perfectly suited for no one but who can wear it, and these are the people of God. Now, that brings me to another observation. It is providentially supplied for the Christian. God gives this, and... God's particular about who gets this armor. It fits his people so perfectly that he's only handing it out to his people. Now, here's where we really have to back up just a little, and we have to remember that we are not talking about material things here. What Paul is doing, he's using a physical illustration, but he's applying this in the spiritual realm. We, fi- we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so the weapons we use are not physical weapons. It's the spiritual realm that we're talking about. So if you go down here to verse number 14, we skip ahead there just a little bit. He begins there, a list of the armaments. Loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. There's nobody but a spiritual person that can wear that armor. Now, a false Christian, he'll try to put on an armor, but it's much different than what Paul talks about here. Now, if he's not that jammy Christian, you know, wants to put on his PJs and go out and have his little party that way, then he's, a, he's the type of person who tries to throw up some other kind of defense. So his defense and his armor is to do things like pray to the saints, pray to the angels. They get into uh, self-flagellation, do some penance, get your little idol of a crucifix and rub that and finger some rosary beads and... Uh, That'll be your armor. That's your strength. And if they don't do that, then you have many of them that are busy uh, talking some kind of gibberish in some uh, self-described heavenly or otherworldly language that neither they or anyone else can understand. Folks, you can recognize a true Christian by the type of armor that he's wearing. You see what he's wearing, and you find out whether or not he's a Christian. These things are providentially supplied. All these other things are man-made, and really, when you get down to it, when you talk about man-made religion, it's not actually man-made at all. It's devil. It's the devil's religion. Uh, it's a religion that devil puts his stamp upon. So the devil who's, is the one who's behind that all. And, and that's why I don't have any trouble telling you that there are only two spirits that operate in the world. Only two. You can only go one way or the other. One's the Christ, or one's the Antichrist. One's the Holy Spirit, or he's the devil. And when you... Uh, think about the tongue talkers and the faith healers and all the sweet nothings that are whispered in your ear by people like Joel Osteen, then you ought to give the credit where the credit is due. Give it to the devil, because he's the one who's behind all of that. This armor is providentially supplied. So the people of God are the ones who wear this armor, and it's the people of God only. It sort of reminds me of David. You know, when he went up to fight against Goliath, uh, Saul wouldn't fight, Saul was afraid, but he did do one thing. He offered David to wear his armor. Remember that? He said, you can, you can wear my armor. And David tried to put that armor on, and it wouldn't fit him. It was too big. He couldn't lug it around. Well, David had the right kind of armor to begin with. He had God's armor on him. He had the protection of God, and so he threw off Saul's armor. Saul wasn't a saved man. So David couldn't wear his armor either physically or spiritually. David was protected by Almighty God. So there's the purpose of this armor. That's for us to stand, and there's the people of the armor. These are the saints of God. Now, thirdly this evening, let's talk about the protection of the armor. And the protection is really our salvation. Let's go back for just a minute to this thought of power without defense. We're vulnerable vulnerable to the devil's attacks, even though we know that we have unlimited resources. Every Christian in here tonight, you have the power of God, you can use the power of God, you have unlimited resources, but the plain truth of the matter is, not every Christian is winning their spiritual battles. Most Christians are disgruntled, and most of them are living in defeat, even though God has all of this power. Well, what this armor is, actually, for every one of us here tonight, this armor is for our daily protection and our daily salvation. Now, hear me out on this because lots of people do not understand the, the, the meaning of salvation in all of its fullness. The Bible teaches us that there's a, a, a past tense of salvation, there's a present tense, and there's a future tense. It tells us that we are actually being saved. There's a continuous action as we go on through this life. In the past tense, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And that's when you put your personal faith in Jesus Christ. You've been saved from the penalty of sin, and so right then you're on your way to heaven, and you'll be in heaven. But it also teaches that there is a present tense. And in the present tense, we are being saved from the power of sin and the dominion of sin. And then the future tense of salvation is that we will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, what we're considering here tonight, of course, is that middle one. We're in the present, and so right now we are being saved from the dominion or the power of sin. That's what the whole armament business is about. We put on the armor, so in this present tense, sin will not have dominion over us. Now, if you don't have the armor on you, then in the present tense, you are not being saved from sin's power. That's not happening in your life. The present tense is where we find the doctrine of sanctification. In our victory, we are being sanctified. We're being useful for Christ. And very simply put, a Christian who does not put on the whole armor of God is a useless Christian. He has no personal victory, and and his life will not be a testimony and be totally unconvincing to the lost of the world. So let's make two points here as we sum up this lesson tonight about the panoply of God. The word panoply, that is an important word. It means the whole armor. And this whole armor comes from the whole body of faith it comes from the whole spectrum of christian doctrine and to the extent that we fail in doctrine we will not we are not completely covered by the armor now we can't do without any of the doctrines of god's word we can't ignore any doctrine in god's word and i think that's what has gone so seriously wrong in many of our fundamental churches There's an emphasis that's put on the practical aspects of the gospel, but there's practically no teaching at all on the doctrinal aspects of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for sure, uh, they do believe and they teach, and this is a wonderful thing. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that's the only way that that a person can ever be saved. But that's pretty much the end of the salvational aspects of their teaching. The rest... They go into the soul-winning aspects. They go into the rules of Christian living. But what is it that we have learned in the book of Ephesians? We have learned that you can't have right practice without right doctrine. And so what happened then is that the absence of correct doctrine, uh, what Baptists used to teach, has led many of our fundamental churches into decisional regeneration-type thinking. I'm not going to explain that term tonight. I preached about that a few weeks ago. And if you want to find out what it's all about, go back to the resume of the devil and you find the explanation of what that means. But they try to be practical and they dwell on that aspect of it, which is a good thing in itself. But in so doing, without the doctrinal side of it, they lose the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel actually suffers. And when the gospel suffers, God himself suffers because God becomes less than what the Bible describes him to be. So if we're going to be saved from the present dominion and the power of sin, we have to take the whole counsel of God's word. When Paul uh, met with the leaders of the Ephesian church at Miletus, he made two very important statements that were pertinent to our discussion tonight. He said in Acts 20, verse 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. And then in the 27th verse, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So he kept back nothing that's profitable. He gave them all the counsel, the whole counsel of God. And then he told these elders to do the same. He said, Go back to the people that that you work among, the people that you preach to, and give this to them. Minister them. Feed the church of God which he's purchased with his own blood. And friends, that's why we study the Bible. That's why we don't use anything but the Bible in our preaching here. That's why we're up to sermon number 86 in Ephesians now. It's because I'm trying to give you the whole counsel of the Word of God as we go through this. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. And he wasn't talking there about the salvational aspect, at least not the the saving faith. That's not really what he's talking about there. He's talking about the whole body of faith, the whole body of Christian doctrine. And then finally, our protection comes from the whole body of faith. We have to have that, but it also covers the whole body of the Christian. Now, as we study this armor further, we find that it's sufficient to cover all parts of a frontal assault. You've probably heard many people preach on these texts, and they always make a point about the fact that there's nothing in here that covers the back of the Christian. That's because Jesus says in Luke 9, "...no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God." We don't have armor for the back because God is not expecting that you're going to turn around and run from the enemy. And I promise you this, God's not going to protect your backside, and you will fall if that's what you decide to do. But when we find, uh, put on this armor, we find out that it's fully sufficient. It's more than enough to protect us in a frontal assault. If we're always going forward for the Lord, we cannot fall when we have this armor on. And then as we come to talking about the armor a little bit later, uh, we find out that there are many pieces uh, that the world can supply for us. There are bits and pieces that can help us from uh, other types of preaching besides what we have right here. For instance, uh, positive thinking. Preachers like to, you know, you have these preachers that preach on the power of positive thinking. Is positive thinking a good thing? Of course it is. All of us ought to be positive thinkers. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, We think about Rick Warren. I mentioned the purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church. Can Rick Warren give you good principles? Well, sure, you can find some good principles that he gives you. And uh, you think about Joel Osteen. Is there something that Joel Osteen says that actually could help somebody? Of course there is. He's, He's got some good things that he says. All of those things have elements of truth in them. But I want to remind you that Islam also has elements of truth. You can find some good things in Islam as well. The problem here is those things are not full protection. If that's all you're getting, you don't have the full protection of God's Word. And the Scripture says we have to have every single area covered up or the devil will find that weakness and will attack us in that weakness. Well, here's the thing that we find out. It is not the protected part that kills. It's the unprotected part. Now, let's make that the last statement tonight. It is not the protected part that kills. It's the unprotected part. And so when you have all the bits and pieces of these other little things out there, it leaves you vulnerable in so many different areas if you don't take the full complement of the Word of God and put this armor on. David knew this when he slung that stone at at Goliath. All that David needed was just a little sliver of space above the bridge of Goliath's nose to fit that rock into, and God, when David threw that rock, he spiled it right into the place that it needed to be, and that was an unprotected part, and that caused the giant to fall. This is exactly why Charles Wesley said, leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul, take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole. That is the same thing as saying, put on the panoply of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, We thank you for your word and for the strength that we gain from it. Help us to understand so much better that we need to have this whole armor, the full armor, the teen panoplyan of God, that we might be able to withstand against the devil. Show our people tonight this great truth, Lord, and may we always go to the full counsel of your word, and may we know it better every day so that we can put on all these different pieces of armor. Bless our people in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.